Welcome to the Mass Construction Show. I'm your host, Joe Kelly, and this is the podcast about all things construction in Massachusetts and beyond. Well, MassCons, it's episode 200. And guess what? I had nothing planned and didn't even notice it until I looked at a review on Apple and noticed it was episode 198. It was August and unfortunately too late to pull off anything special. What we do have, though, is kind of fitting because after four years of doing this, I still had people asking who I was and what I do. Very mass construction, if I do say so myself. Well, what are we going to do? It's Mike interviewing me. I do have to say Mike did a great job. We did not discuss the questions ahead of time. And after the fact, I realized that Mike had strung together a pretty impressive storyline. Well, happy 200 mascons. And in a fitting way, 200 episodes in, I guess I'll tell you about myself. Today's show is brought to you by Central, commercial carpenters and supporters of our conversation. Enjoy the show. So today we're going to flip the script. I'm not even going to let Joe introduce me or uh, get that deep into it because this is an idea we've had for a bit and I think it's long overdue. So we're going to take it and we're going to run with it. So today we're going to go over uh, not code uh, necessarily. We're not going to go over any changes or zoning for that matter. Today we're going to go over the who is Joe Kelly. All right, I want to just, I have to take control of this operation one more second. So um, let's just say this stemmed from, I received, you know, I don't know how many messages, but uh, enough messages of folks that didn't know me prior to listening to the podcast. And that, that was even, it's a strange dynamic of how that happens. Like at first, not that the audience is, that big but when i first started doing this everybody that listened i knew who they were in some capacity and now it's kind of just moved beyond that where i'll go to some place when i'm doing teaching or whatever and someone walks up and i've talked about that a little bit and says hey i listen to the podcast and i don't know who these people are um and then i've had other people message and say hey, we're listening to this podcast and I went back and I started to listen to everything, but I don't know anything about you. Like, who are you? Other than like what kind of comes out in a little podcast here or there. So I was getting that. And then Mike mentioned doing something like this. And I said, oh, that's funny. I've been getting some questions about that. Some people gave some additional questions on Instagram. I don't know if Mike is planning on covering that or not. I'm kind of blind on that front. But I will say this. I have been reluctant. I looked back, we talked about this last July and it felt like we talked about it three months ago. We talked about it a year ago and we haven't done it. And I think some of that is, I am a little reluctant to do this. I don't know. It's, un, it's uncomfortable to me to some degree and that's fine, but I have to kind of put up with that and be willing to be uncomfortable and hopefully it will be interesting. I kind of always thought of this show as interesting because of the people that I bring on. And uh, now I'm going to hand it over to Mike and I'll shut my mouth now. I just want well, to say my piece. you won't be piece. shutting your mouth. I guarantee you that you won't be shutting your mouth. So yeah. I'm this, uncomfortable. That, that's the long fucking of the, sh that's the short of the long there. So, so this idea came about, um, you know, Joe, constantly has people on this show and uh it, it consists of you know who are you and how did you start and, and it really turns out to be 
helpful to other people. As I sit back and watch and listen to these podcasts, uh, when you know contractors and developers or owners of companies are on, it ends up helping out a lot to see how their journey was and how they started. So it's fitting that you know we hear from the person that's bringing these people on. So that's where I came up with the idea. You know, when we first pitched this, just for a little background. Joe threw it out there, you know, is this something that uh, people would be interested in? And, you know, people were volunteering to actually ask the questions, and now you're stuck with me. So yes. this could be a bit of a train wreck. I think uh, everyone thought this would be 100% serious, which it may be somewhat serious. But Maybe. for those of you that have listened to me, it's not going to be 100% serious. No. So we'll see how much of a train wreck we can make this. But uh, I think there'll be some interesting content here. Stay on that mic, please. So let's go back. Uh, as we always do, back to uh, Little Joe. How did Joe Kelly, how did you even start? Like, how did construction become a thing for Joe Kelly? Sure. I guess my dad was an insulator, so I knew he was in construction. You know, he kind of just said I was, a, he thought of himself as like a pipe curver or something you'd use more. And I would see he would get these magazines because he was a union insulator. And I remember seeing, in, in hindsight, now I'm like, oh, that's kind of wild. But it was like the asbestos worker, asbestos workers and right. whatever uh, association. Right. And insulators, right? Yep. So I knew that my dad went to construction sites and, and built, but he wasn't, uh, he wasn't really a construction guy. It's not like I was building stuff with him at home. I wish he was. That wasn't his thing. He didn't come from a family. He just, I think that was a a good job for him to get and he got that and went that route so that I guess had to have piqued the interest a little bit just knowing my dad did that and then I think like any kid you like to build a tree house right absolutely and do that kind of stuff so I think that's that piqued the initial interest way back right you know. so what that was as I said little Joe little kid yeah and now we start to move through um, you know, high school and, and you're a young adult and you're going through high school and, and um, you know, now you need to pick a place to go once you're leaving high school. And, you know, obviously you picked Wentworth. For those people that don't know, Joe was a, a Wentworth grad. How did that come about? Is, did, did your youth yeah. have anything to do with that? Was it, uh, you know, purely on your research and, and your interest was absolutely peaked at that point or how did you pick Wentworth? Good question. I was a horrible student. Great. I will, I'm happy to elaborate on that because I think it's relevant to this conversation, but uh, definitely took shop classes when I was in school. In high school? In high school. You know, there wasn't a Vogue Tech, but we still had shop. We had woodworking, I think construction drafting I took as well, and then I think they gave you one, another class that allowed you to work with metal and... Priceless, uh, that's yeah, good, great. And other products. So I was definitely interested in that, and I think some of that went to the fact that I wasn't... I didn't like school, and I wasn't good at school, and it's funny, I happen to be telling this story recently to a neighbor and my wife was telling at the same time because I've I dated her in high school I've known her since middle school and you know she started she's like oh she's like you would get a major kick out of knowing what Joe was like <laughs> when he was younger 
So I, I won't go too deep into this, but I think a good explanation of this was I have covered To Kill a Mockingbird three times in my uh, education career. The first time I went to eighth grade. The second time I went to eighth grade. And <laughs> I had a teacher who, when you get kept back in school, they usually give you, you know how sometimes it's like, houses or groups or whatever the school calls it and you're right. in that like a house or b house or whatever and when you repeat they put you into the different one because they're like all right let's not put this person with all the same teachers again he failed at that last time and let's try it again but there was one teacher mrs furlong she was great i liked her she liked me so i took all new teachers except for her I kept her for English, which I was not good at. Did she want to keep you, or yeah, you just kept her? Okay. No, no, no. It was, right, it, was checking. It, it was mutual. Like we got along great, and I think she was instrumental in that. So uh, now, mind you, I read one book in the twelve years I went to school, and that was Bo Knows Bo about Bo Jackson. I never read one book. Um, I did not read To Kill a Mockingbird the first time in eighth grade. I did not read To Kill a Mockingbird the second time in eighth grade. And then when I had to go to summer school, because I failed English in high school, and Mrs. Furlong was the summer school teacher, and the book that we were reading in high school for summer school was To Kill, to Kill a Mockingbird. Mockingbird. So I had right. the same teacher three times, was supposed to read Killing Mockingbird three times, never read To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, Karen was saying the other night that Joe is one of the people that showed up to school with nothing and left with nothing and would walk into the first class and then lean over and say, hey, do you have a pencil? Would you have... So that so was... To kill a mockingbird, you were 0 for 3. That's definitely not going to get you into the Hall of Fame. It, no, but the, th the other thing is I know a lot about To Kill a Mockingbird just because I sat in those classes so much that just through osmosis, I know a fair amount about it and I think I watched this old movie three times the black and white one so I was not a great student and I'm giving you the nickel version um, one other thing that illustrates it probably pretty well and these are coming to my head only because this conversation happened in my backyard the other night and I almost forgot about all this stuff but they I got sent to a summer school program I don't remember what year it was but uh, it wasn't because I failed anything, but it was for essentially like delinquents. And it's all going to come out now, people. It <laughs> comes. Yes. So the town got, must have gotten a grant because I got a paycheck to go to this thing every week. So they, I, I'm guessing what they did was they got money to try and help redirect failing kids so they like can make something of themselves so I this just proves you are a heck of an entrepreneur because if you could get paid to go to school yeah, that is yes yeah yeah absolutely yeah. fantastic that's true so i had to go in the summertime every day and they would and i was still young i wasn't old at the time and they would teach us how to do a resume teach us like life skills like how to cook how to write a check, right. like all this stuff. Cause it would basically like this kid's going to either drop out end up in jail or like not going anywhere good. So this is a way we could kind of redirect them. 
And I remember like, this is how bad it was. I remember sitting in where we had to do like mock interviews and the interview that I had to do was for a short order cook. So I had to sit with this teacher and she was like, oh, okay, I see you're applying for a short order cook today. And I remember sitting there thinking like, what the fuck am I doing with all these fucking lunatics and like degenerates that were like 19 and still in high school and like legit, like something out of like um, the breakfast club with the, this one guy, I remember he had longer hair, orange hair, and he'd had jean jacket, like Canadian tuxedo, jean jacket. The whole suit and nothing but the suit, so help him God. Yeah, but definitely more of the like um, punk, um, what was the word for like 80s, 90s kids that would be wearing black rock uh, t-shirts, the name. Like punk rock, goth punk rock. Yeah, he had that kind of vibe going, definitely like a, a rebel vibe, and he was smoking cigarettes while we were at like summer school right and because he was 19 and but long story short is that was the like track i was heading down i did not go directly to wentworth i applied to wentworth and i believe i got in i also was able to get into umass lowell um because i could run i like I was good at running and, uh, but I, my grades were so bad that I didn't meet the NCAA standard to play. So I had to sit out, but the coach had recruited me to run there and he basically pulled strings to get me in, um, to UMass Lowell and they had an industrial management and I liked construction management at Wentworth. That's what I wanted to go for. And I was like, well, I want to run and this will get me in there and I'll take industrial management and that'll be close to, I don't know anything. I'm fucking dumb, right? I just an 18 year old. And I thought that was the same thing. And I showed up and I quickly learned that that was like business and they were, were talking about like managing a plant and it was like getting a business degree. The only class I liked was philosophy and I was like, all right, this isn't for me. I'm in the wrong place. So after the first semester, I got something from Wentworth that, hey, you were applied, you were accepted. If you're still interested, we could um, enroll you in in the construction management program. And I was like, okay, yeah, this isn't for me. I don't like this industrial management. And I I wasn't able to run because I didn't qualify at that point. So I was just practicing with them. And... I left <clears throat> and went to Wentworth. So that's a long way around. That is a long way around. But, However, I think we could just stop this podcast now and everyone would kind of step back and say, I think we just went to Star Wars. We went to the dark side with Joe Kelly because I'm not sure anybody uh, you know, could have perceived some of those things you just talked about, which is great because I think it, it – uh, you know, in my, it, my experience, it kind of uh, defined you and, and – and pushes you in a certain direction and you always keep that with you and, and stop me if I'm going too far, but you kind yeah. of always keep that with you. And it's a, a battle cry as you move forward. Um, so I, I think it's interesting that, uh, you know, we're hearing this and I've known you for, uh, how many years now? 15, 16, 18, yeah. 19 years, whatever it is. And, 
I'm sitting here and ask the question. It's the first time that I heard some of this stuff. So, yeah. So I and I, to close the loop on that, so like, why did I go down that? Well, because being a very bad student, but shop was a way to get out of what I didn't like and what I wasn't good at and what I was failing at. And uh, uh, in fairness, a lot of that was my family was all fucked up. So that's part of the reason I wasn't doing well had no no structure at all i was like basically feral so like that mm-hmm. contributed but shop was a way to okay i could go i could i always always i always liked like learning new things but i didn't like school so i was able to go there and like i thought that was great to learn how to use like a metal punch and how to solder something and i don't consider myself a craftsman but i liked learning all those things and i liked getting out of a regular classroom right so that was piqued the interest in construction which made me want to go to Wentworth, but it was really kind of born out of getting out of school. And yeah, if if you want to go deeper on the early stuff, I can, I'm happy to do that, but I don't want to talk too long. So um, why don't you give us a little snapshot of, so now you're in Wentworth, you get into the construction management program, um, loved it, had to adapt to it, took to it, could see this being the future. Give us the uh, the five cent on that. Loved it. Got some structure. Like the first year I was living with some friends that went to Boston College because I transferred and I just needed a place to stay. So I was living in um, the what's that little area where the movie theater used to be in Brookline, right where Mary is. Yeah, thank you. Um, was living over in Cleveland Circle for a while. Um, but then because I was more or less paying my own way through school, my my grandparents had, it wasn't a two-family, but they had like there, it's the Italian side, obviously. They had two kitchens, two dining rooms, yeah. two, and there was bedrooms on top and bottom. So they lived on the first floor and their second floor basically sat unused. So... I moved over there and that gave me good structure that I never had. And I went from D's D's and F's to like, you know, A's and B's. And I also liked what I was learning. So that made it more motivating. And then the work component was really good. Like the co-op was great for me because I got to see that, okay, I'm learning something that is valuable and what would happen was i would work for the co-op that would pay for my next semester and you know my dad had um my dad got electrocuted when he was working and um you know became disabled got also got rheumatoid arthritis and so he had put away some of the money from when he got an accident to help pay for myself and my sister's school so i had some of that money covered um so between that and me working that's how i was paying for school but that really got me to understand the value of what i was learning and i got to apply it and it was all very new and i was motivated and lump in the structure like that that really allowed me to 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 thrive this will sound crazy i you know, I think about things differently now, but I was, this is how like 
dialed in I got. Um, so from you got the glimpse of what I used to be for a student and also even outside of school. Like I wasn't doing good things, right? Like all around wasn't doing good things, but um, then morphed and I would wake up in the morning at Mission Hill, the cathedral. They would have a 6.45 a.m. mass. Right. When I was in college, because I always still always woke up early, um, I would wake up, go to 6.45 mass in the morning, church. <laughs> it was crazy. And that, that wasn't sounds. because of the free wine, right? That it was, was not because of the free wine. Okay. I'd go there and then go to the library after that, study, and then, you know, it's college, so you get your first class at 10 or whatever, and then I'd show up at the first class. So I went from, like, complete disorder, being a kid in high school who would not come home at night, and no one would ask me about it the next day. So, like, that was my, that was just, that's kind of the structure that I had. I had kind of no rules, and then I just, like, I still inherently uh, don't like rules and being forced to do stuff, but that was what was nice was college. I wasn't forced to do anything, but if I chose to do it, I liked it. And that's really my mentality. I have a lot of, um, I have to decide I want to do it. I decided I wanted to do it. I got, um, focused on it, really dug in, like became president of the construction management association, student chapter, all that kind of stuff. And, um, I think the church thing was also like a little bit of meditation too, because you to sit someplace like that at especially such a beautiful place at six forty-five in the morning. Usually get there early at six thirty or whatever. It's just a, it's almost like meditating. I didn't know that at the right. time, but so that was the deal with that, and definitely thrived, loved it. Did four co-ops: freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, and uh, loved it and loved construction. Great. So now you are coming to the end of Wentworth and it's time to get out in the great big world. What, uh, where did you go and, and where did you land after uh, graduating Wentworth? Yep. Went to Bovis. They were, uh, they became Bovis Lendlease and then Lendlease. It was the original Millennium Place. So there's all these Millennium buildings that have been built around the city now, Millennium Tower and Downtown Crossing, one of the more recent, and then Winthrop Square, which is going on now. I was on the original Millennium. They were had only built in New York at that time. They showed up. It was two 40-story high-rises. And I went there for that project. I co-opted it. Chapman Construction in Newton which was an open shop design build, not true design build, but that's what they kind of considered themselves, uh, tenant fit out company. And I liked that. Any place I had worked as a co-op, except for the freshman year, I did a, a highway department and I didn't go back to work because it was public. You didn't, they, right. But Chapman and Bovis both said, hey, if you want to work hours while you're in school, it's open. So I thought about going to work at both of those places, but it was really about the chance to go build a couple 40 story high rises. And that was 1999. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't a ton of high rises going on in the city of Boston. It's hard for younger folks to believe that. It, I believe it was the only high rise going on at the time. Okay. So that was the deal. 
So Bovis, actually, interestingly enough, we didn't know at the time, but I was uh, in the union at the time, and you were the super on the job. We actually crossed paths and, and didn't know each other at yes. that time, which is... Which is wild. Know, yeah. Um, so, you know, in the field, you did your academics, and now you're out, and you end up in the field. And as a young super, I think in, in many jobs, you end up, um, you know, gravitating towards somebody you know, as a mentor, whether it's intentional or unintentional, it just kind of happens. I think it's a natural thing. Was there somebody when you hit the field that, you know, mentored you, whether, you, you know, whether it was you asking them questions or whether them they gravitated towards you? Was there anybody out there that helped you in the field? Yeah. I mean, a lot of, a lot of people that, that first job, um, I'll talk about two though, I would say, if I'm thinking about it. So Mike Costello was the superintendent on the job when I was co-oping there. And, you know, he encouraged me to go back and he gave me some great advice. And, you know, he more or less said, he goes, the, the company doesn't matter. He goes, you know, because I had the great thing about Wentworth Every single job I interviewed for, I got, and that's not abnormal because just the demand for students that have some experience and can work day one right. is is really valuable. So a lot of companies are looking to hire um, students out of Wentworth. And so I was exploring all these different opportunities. I'm like, oh, I like this one has a rotational program. I think I want to go work there. And when I was talking to Mike, he said, listen, the company doesn't matter. The rotational thing doesn't matter. He goes, the project you're on matters. Right. He goes, if you can have this job on your resume, you'll write your ticket. He says, the people you will meet on this job, especially because there wasn't a ton of high rises going on. Huh? He's like, all the best subcontractors are going to be on this job. They're going to send their best foreman. They're going to send their best project managers. He's like, you're going to meet all the best contractors in the city. As we say, the, the A-team yes. is going to be on this, yep. these jobs. Everybody's A-team is coming to this job. He goes, you're going to meet all the business agents on this job. You're going to have to work with the transportation department. You're going to have to work with public works. You're going to deal with interface with all the people in the city. He's like, the education you'll get just by being on this job is, you know, invaluable. And he was a thousand percent right. And there are people that I'm still friends with to this day that I can pick up and call the phone, call on the phone, whether they work at the city or work for some subcontractor and they are the A-team of the A-team subcontractors and contractors. And, and that resume really does it. It got me a lot of job offers when I was still a super. It got me an ABC license before I was 30 wow. and I remember interviewing uh, when I was even when I was just graduating and I had done multiple co-ops and I was working second shift on a separate bovis job where they were doing slurry wall okay. and they needed someone to cover the second shift so I would do that I would go to school and then from like 3 to 11 and I could get there 5 because most of the staff stayed there till 4 or 5 right? and then from 5 to 11 I would cover the slurry wall second shift and i remember interviewing in 
I forget if it was St. Louis or DC. There was two of them I did. I forget the company. But the guy was bragging more or less about their work. He's telling about the company and he's like, it was the hospital builder, so St. Louis. He was like, we build all these hospitals. He's like, we have like a $220 million um, project coming up this year. We've done this 120, we've done this to that. You know. And he's like, you know, I don't know if you've had any experience, you know, working on any big projects like that, but they're really exciting. He's like, you know, have you ever done anything like that? And I was like, yeah, well, I've been working on these two 40-story high-rises. I think it's a $750 million project. And the guy was like, oh, okay, I guess right. I guess my thing isn't that exciting, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I had received, you know, got a number of offers along the way for other companies just because I had that on the resume. And then Merck Pharmaceuticals, another high-rise, $450 million, Like, And Mike was spot on that just having those projects on your resume goes a long way. And if you don't like it, that opens the door to 10 fit out or anything else. But you know, if you want to do that big work, having it, uh, having it really helped. So Mike was instrumental just by giving me that piece of advice. And then Mike was a good super, he was really good at setting up jobs. And he was great with relationships with neighbors and owners and things like that. Uh, but Mike was not a morning person, which is not good for a superintendent. But like right. I told you, I naturally am a morning person. So I would be showing up 5, 5.30 on the job site. Mike would roll in around 9. But So what would happen would all the subcontractors would come to me because Mike wasn't there Yep. and say, hey, we have a problem with this slurry wall cage. It says the block out's supposed to be at elevation, whatever. And, you know, this drawing says uh, that's not going to line up with the, you know, B2 level for the ramp. Like, wh- what are we supposed to do here? So I had to... You're forced to do it, right? Yeah, forced You're to do there. it, figure it out, try and figure it out myself, write the stuff down, go look at it with them. And then when Mike would show up, I'd say, hey, here's what's going on. This is what I think it should be or whatever and or i think we should write an rfi or what have you what do you what do you think and then he would you know make the decision but so mike was instrumental in a lot of ways like i said good advice and we were a good compliment he would write letters that he would have to write like we had a problem with a police detail on our job okay who wasn't doing the right things okay and we had to tactfully say that we don't want that detail anymore right um so we had to write a letter to some higher up at boston police department but mike wasn't a great writer and i'm not even really a great writer but so i was writing letters for him you were fresh out of academia yeah so i would write the letters he would sign him and send him and then he'd get compliments back about the letter. Oh, that letter you wrote was really official. He was like, thank you. You know, um, it's a symbiotic relationship, mentor and, and grasshopper. Yeah. So that was really good. And then the iron worker boss, uh, Roly Desimone, he, Mar. yeah, right. He was awesome. He taught me a lot. If you never, if someone has never looked at structural steel piece drawings, it looks like somebody threw pickup sticks on a, sheet of paper and put a bunch of numbers all over it um but you know he taught me how to read that took me under my taught me so much about structural steel and also the iron worker 
Stewart, Punchy Kelleher. Mm-hmm. Like between Rolly and Punchy, they taught me so much about structural steel. And then Punchy always really had my back uh, out in the field as well. And I remember like th- those big jobs where you had stewards and stuff like that. If you were like picking up a broom just to like sweep something up, you'd no catch all kinds of fucking flack. You like, oh, you had to, you move something that was in the way and the iron workers would be like, you can't touch the steel, this yeah. and that. Blah. But um, Punchy would have me out there with the oxygen acetylene torch. And like, he's like, oh, he's like, this isn't right. We got to cut this. We got to cut this beam or whatever. And he didn't, they didn't care what happened or whatever. So I was, got to like cut steel W shapes with a oxygen acetylene torch nice. and stuff like that. So nice. um, I would say Mike and then... Um, Rolly and Punchy really uh, taught me a lot about uh, structural steel. It's nice to have the uh, the Stewart, you know, and the Supers on the same page. You, you don't get that all the time, but that's uh, that's good to have them on the same page. And that's good to hear that they were able to uh, mentor you a bit as well, right? Because those are the guys in the field. Those are the professionals. Those are the experts in, in what they're doing. So Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Do you want to, like, there's also just, like, some funny stories that – yeah, let them fly. Go I mean, along with that. Um, and these can be long, so I'll, I'll keep it short. But, you know, like I said, we were, we became pretty tight, and the iron workers are a wild bunch. And I would drink with them in their trailer because I was in my young 20s, like after, um, after the day hours, was obviously. After, let's just keep rolling. With yes. That show. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and like it was great because he would also Rolly knew I liked homemade wine and he would get because there was so many guys on the job hundreds and hundreds there probably four to five hundred guys at one point so the flooring guy the Portuguese flooring guy would bring in his homemade wine and the Greek guy in the place across the street would be so like I was trying all the homemade wines and it was, it was a great time but we got such a good relationship that there was one foreman, I'll leave the company off. And because I was running the steel and concrete, all the mechanical contractors would have to run their sleeves through the deck. And it was a lot of floor. So we were up on like the 20th floor-ish. And we just had it on repeat. We were like, we knew sometimes there'd be some changes in the shafts and things, so we'd have to relay them out. But we were like, here's the system. And there was one area that had a ton of rebar. So we would all, all the mechanical trades would fly their stuff up to one side of the building. The area that was cantilevered and had all the heavy, heavy rebar would get left open. Iron workers would do that. Everybody would move their sleeves, put them there. And then the iron workers would do the other side, and we'd flip-flop, and it worked. Okay. There was one subcontractor who had probably dumped ten to fifteen thousand dollars worth of material on the deck because they had a lot of stuff running through laterally as well that had to go in. Right. And the guy was just an asshole. He had been from day one, and he puts it there intentionally. I'm presuming. So I just went up to him like, "What are you doing? Like, why would you put your stuff there? We've done this." 15 times already because the podium and then there was a tower. I was like, you know, and he's like, it doesn't matter. I'm, you know, whatever. I'm like, all right, listen, move it like 10 feet. We'll come over. We'll do this way. We'll kind of work around you. And then we can slide it back over and do whatever. He just looks at me. He's like, I'm not moving it. 
Awesome. And I was like, awesome. So we get in an argument and the ironworker Stewart's watching this and whatever. And he sees me arguing with the guy. And I was like, listen, at this point, it's up to you. Do you do whatever you want and we'll just deal with it from there. And I walked away. And then shortly about 10 minutes later, that same foreman is screaming in my office because all of his material was thrown off the 20th floor down onto the lower deck and he lost, you know, $15,000 worth of material. Crane picks are expensive. Mm -hmm. Now we need to get another crane pick and he would have to pay for that crane pick. It was probably $20,000 hit. He didn't have the stock. He had to order new stock and like the relationship that was built, like, solved my problem right you know yeah um and then yeah and, and I'll, I'll stop there there's plenty other good stories with i think we'll know, have another episode just on uh you know tales from the field this Joe might Kelly. be a tales from the field yeah, yeah we can bring you on uh tales from the field yeah i told you the guy that had just got out of prison one yes. i think before and maybe that's a good one Absolutely. that was entertaining so yeah there was a great relationship i were her guys uh, Rolly and Punchy were great mentors and Mike Costello was, uh, you know, instrumental in getting me going. Great. So then you're in the field, uh, you have Bovis and then you decide to make a move, <laughs> um, for better or for worse, you decide to make a move and you move over to apply and subsequently start at Boston ISD. What uh, what was the thought process there, uh, saying okay, let's let's make a jump to the as I call it the uh, the nuts and bolts of the code world? Mm. How uh, how did you how did you decide on doing that? Yeah, I'll give a little more context, but I would say the last episode. Uh, I don't know when we're going to air this, but one of the more recent episodes. It's titled "Why Every Time I Was Called Stupid or Crazy, I Ended Up Happier." Right. I, I cover this kind of in depth. Because it was a preview to why I was going to start bringing on people that kind of carved their own paths. Some of the stuff I didn't say in that was I wanted more time outside of work. Okay. I know that, I don't know if I get bored, but I feel like once I've done something enough not that i'm an expert but i'm like okay i know how to do this now and yes i'm gonna go to another job and it might be you know one was a lab i had never done a lab before so i'll learn something new there but after eight and a half years i'm like okay i get how to be a super yes i had a still probably had loads to learn but at its core the functions were on repeat and it was a ton of hours and uh i like I was like, huh, like I kind of feel like I know how to do this. I want to try something new. I want to learn something new and different. And I wanted to coach basketball. Uh, you know, I wanted to just do other things that wasn't working 60, 70 hours right. a week. I, Mark Joseph was my inspector okay. at the time. And Mark and I got along really well. Mark is now the building commissioner. That's why I'm saying yeah. I'm, I'm talking to you like you know it. But for folks that don't know, Mark is now the building commissioner here in Boston. Um, and I would just ask Mark about it all the time. Like, hey, how'd you get this job? Like, 
what'd you have to do? Like, what, like, cause I just thought, Hey, I, this seems interesting to me. I can still be in construction, but I'm not responsible for any, you know, idiot that doesn't show up on time and we're uh, somebody or, that drops a pick right in the middle y- of where you're working. Y- yep. Yeah. Uh, like, or, you know, we're supposed to be pouring, you know, 200 yards today. Why is there not a pump truck here? And why are the owners freaking out? And like, like, um, that seemed interesting. And I'm like, and he talked about the code and what he did. And we just kind of got along very well. So he knew I was interested. And then he showed up one day and he's like, Hey, he's like, where do you live? And I told him I lived in Boston cause it's a residency requirement. Mm-hmm. And he goes, we have a job opening. And funny story, I don't even know if you know this. You and I applied at the same time. So there were two openings at ISD at this time. There was one opening at the time. Uh, 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 Well, this is how I... Let it fly. I'm going to listen and learn now. Go ahead. This is how (laughs) I um, understood it to happen. And maybe I was wrong. But so I went and interviewed with Mark's recommendation. I interviewed with Charlie Colburn who was like the supervisor at the time. And I went into this interview and the interview went like, great. He's like, oh, wow. He's like, you've done this, that. He's like, we don't have any inspectors that really have high rise experience. This would be excellent. Um, You know, he knew Kathy McNeil from Millennium. So we had a lot of, and we knew a lot of similar people. And like you, I walked out of that interview and I was like, I'm like, this is great. Like I've, I've got this right. Just, we really hit it off and he was nothing but glowing and positive. And I did not hear from them for like two months. Mm-hmm. Never heard back at that time. In hindsight, I learned that you got the job. Is this going to cause a conflict here, Joe? Are we going to have a problem? <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't know who you were at the time, but you got that job. And I think they knew another one was going to be coming, but it wasn't open at the time. And now, um, I think we can choose to cut this or not. Your sister worked there yeah. <laughs> at the time. Yeah. And I think both of us, wa- they wanted to hire both of us. Right. Your sister worked there, so I think you might have um, got first. It was first. purely on experience, <laughs> You might have got. There is no such thing in the city of Boston. <laughs> first dibs. But I, so I waited. I actually didn't start right away because I was already inspecting in another town. But long okay. story short, I'll let you. Yep. So that one got filled. And then I think the second one, because how it works in the city is they put in for a job at the so they put in for two and they were going to get two but they got one first and then eight weeks later but no one called me in the interim to say like hey we have another um one coming we're still we're still interested in you i'm just like when you go an interview and you don't hear from someone for friggin two months you think it's all right well i didn't get hired right so i started a small business to do because I wanted out of uh, being a general contractor to do property maintenance for small condo associations. Okay, and I got that all spun up. Had an LLC, had started to get some clients, and then I get a call two months later, and they're like, "Oh, um, we'd like to hire you. You know, can you start on Monday?" And I was like, "How do you not fucking 
call somebody for two months. That sounds about right. And that then, sounds par for the course. And then call me and say, like, can you start on Monday? You know, and, and no, like, no context of like, oh, hey, we were, they didn't even explain anything. And I'm like, what kind of lunacy is this? So I didn't want to miss out at the opportunity to be a building inspector at the city of Boston. It was kind of hard to come by back then. I don't think it's as hard now. Right. Um, Absolutely. So I folded up that other thing because I would have had conflict of interest and stuff like that. It was one that just was kind of more maintenance. So I hung on to that client because I had committed to them and wrote out my commitment. But other than that, I had let it go. And that's how I ended up in Boston. Excellent. So how many years at ISD did you end up doing? Oddly enough, eight and a half, eight and a half at, at Bovis and eight and a half at ISD. In a row, too. He did eight and yes. a half in a row. Back to back. Yeah. Um, so, and then you go through ISD. I know you ended up becoming one of the, the chief inspectors. You were at um, Counter mm-hmm. 2 for a while. Yeah. Um, Which is and plans f- and zoning for people that don't know what Counter 2 is. Sorry, I, I forget <laughs> that some people may not choose to uh, venture into Boston ISD. Or, or even live in Massachusetts. So, right, yeah. that's yep. true. Um, so then from there, I, I remember when... We spoke about this, and um, you know, I had to go and do the research on what you were even talking about. But then came the AGC, and mm-hmm. you went the uh, Associated General Contractors of Massachusetts. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your role there, uh, and then we'll we'll get into a little bit about the about the AGC. Uh, you know, I was lucky enough to be involved in a lot of what you were doing in the AGC. But why don't you tell us about the AGC first, and then. We'll get into a little bit about what you did there. Yeah, so that's the Association of General Contractors, for folks that don't know, uh, Massachusetts chapter. You know, it was an opportunity to, tr- again, try something different. After a long enough time, I felt like I had inspecting thing down and and none of these should ever be taken of oh i knew everything i didn't know yeah i could you could stay there for another 30 years you'll continue to learn stuff and i could have stayed at a jc and continue to learn stuff but i knew how to go out and do inspections i knew how to build a building like the process was the same and i wanted to kind of learn something new they it was originally a business development position that someone had the CEO had mentioned to me because I was there to talk to him about something else. And he's like, Hey, we have this opening. And I said, yeah, I'm like, I saw that, but I'm not interested in sales. And he's like, Oh, he's like, well, we're not looking for a salesperson anymore. We've always had BD people, but we want someone that knows construction and can help our members with the construction side of things. And I was like, huh, well, you know, you don't interface with any of the AHJs, the fire departments and the building departments. And he's like, yeah, he's like, we used to have a code committee and that was, that has been dormant. Nothing's happened with that. And it was a way to like, okay, I could start working with other companies. I had planned on, I guess I'll just roll into what I did there. I kind of created educational programs and committees. One of them was the code committee and, but where historically it had been more of just the GCs talking about code. I was like, well, let's go to the source 
Um, also, I would handle any of the stuff related to the BBRS for the AGC. And uh, I'm like, hey, this is this nice little hybrid of code construction. And at the time, I had got kind of my latest interest was this thing called inbound marketing. There was a guy that um, I had followed on Twitter because he was into cigars originally is why I followed him. And he was um, a pretty senior person at this company called HubSpot. Okay, yeah. In Boston, uh, the Massachusetts folks. There's probably a lot of people that have heard of HubSpot. It's a pretty big company. They IPO'd probably six years ago or so, maybe more. Um, but so I would see the stuff he was posting and I'm like, huh, that's kind of interesting. And the thought process behind inbound marketing is that the old way, which you would call outbound marketing, was interrupting people. So you're scrolling through your feed and an ad pops up. Nobody wants that. Right. You're watching a show and an ad pops up. You're like, I want to just keep watching my show. It was very much whether it's on the it was on a radio or uh, a streaming service or in a paper or a magazine. Still, you turn the page, you're like, I don't want to look at these, right? Um, that was outbound. The concept of inbound marketing was like, don't ever do that to people. Provide good, interesting content mm -hmm. about what you do and let people search to say how to fix a lawnmower or how to fix commercial lawnmowers. And you are a maintenance shop for landscapers and write an article about or create a video about how to maintain and repair commercial lawnmowers. And hey, this is how frequently you should do it. Here's the best oil to use for it, this and that. And really, truly explain to people how to do it and they know it's coming from you and just never sell just give the people the information and then <clears throat> some of the people might take that information and fix their own lawnmowers somebody else is going to read it and say oh wow this guy mike knows everything about lawnmowers and i've got 20 lawn mowers from my fleet i'm just going to send them to him and let him do it and right. for two reasons one they know how knowledgeable you are and two, there is like the psychological component of it, which is they're appreciative of the fact that you gave them all this information they were looking for. Right. So I found that just fascinating. And I read books on it and countless, you know, articles and podcasts. And I took all that in. And I'm like, this is the way. And this was before it was commonplace. And when the AGC thing popped up and I was like, you should be using inbound marketing. Right. And inbound marketing could be creating a code committee that everyone wants to go to or a video on how to do something or a class on how to do something or write an article on how to do something. So it was like, hey, I'm going to get a chance to go try out this inbound marketing thing, leverage the code, and stay in construction and talk to people at the same time. So that was kind of the process, and that's what I did. I went there. I did that. Um, I'd like to think it went pretty well. It kind of, I think, revitalized 
things a little bit. Absolutely. There were I other can, people there contributing, but um, I can attest it went it went well, and we could go off on a whole tangent on what the committees that uh, you know you revitalize that you brought in, um, you know, did. Um, and I'll just touch on it, and you can yeah, go for it. You can you know one of the things in code and in, in in committees like this is as you said, it was one dimensional prior to you getting there, but to go to a code committee and not just have the general contractors in the room or not just have the AHJs in the room, like the fire service and the building officials, but to go to a code committee and have, you know, the industry experts, whether it be, you know, HVAC, mechanical, or, um, you know, fire protection consultants, as well as the installers, as well as the general contractors, the building owners, uh, the fire service, the fire marshal, building officials, all in one room. Um, not to give you too many accolades no, no. because the door frame is only so wide for you to get out of here with the size of your head. <laughs> um, but that in itself was worth its weight in gold, having all those people in one room talking about issues and trying to rectify the impasses that those issues uh, pose. So, you know, that's, I think, you know, we can fast forward um, and your ability to do that and bring people together, um, you know, kind of led to the second next thing we're going to get to. But I'll let you go a little bit more into the uh, the AGC committees and, and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, you already like the code committee was uh, bore a lot of fruit. The VDC committee definitely bore a lot of fruit. But that what you're referring to is the construction fire safety partnership right. that we put together. Yeah, still people talk to talk about to this day and i know everybody that was on it would like to resurrect it um i unfortunately don't have the time at the moment to resurrect it because it's just a lot of work that goes to pulling all those people together but it was great that there was just all these people as you eloquently laid out from every part of the business that were all in the same room trying to work out our issues right and 241 was a new um standard at the time and there was also you know hot work certifications that were being put in place and do we need fppm training and should we have a certification for that and we were talking through all these problems you know the contractor owner designer side was saying hey here's what are our issues to actually get what you want AHJs and the AHJs were saying, here's all the problems that we're seeing when we're going out to a site. And just to have that back and forth. And like you said, to have both the state and local municipalities and fire marshals and all of them involved meant we could get stuff done because right. the right people were in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was, that was an amazing group. That was a, a special, special group of individuals and they were all great people on top of it right which made it nice so like it was kind of fun to go there it was a lot of fun and it was great to actually get stuff done because sometimes you have these committees and nothing gets done people go in there and just talk ragtime and it doesn't nothing there's no fruit that gets produced but that was nice because we actually put on some educational programs uh for the industry covid kind of hurt us in one sense because we kept it going for a while when I left AGC had asked me to stay on and kind of run it. And then, um, you know, they didn't want to do that anymore and it's kind of fizzled out, but yeah, there was, we, we made a lot of progress there. So. Right. Great. 
So let's just uh, go back. For those of the keeping score, we uh, we'll go over timeline here. We had delinquency, starting out with delinquency. Yep. Then we had Wentworth in structure, uh, Bovis uh, out in the field, and then um, Boston ISD. And then we were with the AGC. You were with the AGC. And then from the AGC uh, sprouts an idea. And I remember having these conversations with you early on. Yes. Uh, and you decided to go out and go self-employed. Uh, mm. And this was really the, you know, the, the fledgling or the start of uh, mass construction. So what, what made you, as you're at the AGC, obviously your Rolodex is getting much larger while you're working at the AGC. You had the experience with people at Wentworth, the experience in the field, all those people that you've met. What made you decide, okay, it's time I want to dip my toe in the water and see about this self-employed stuff? What made you decide to go that route? Wow. Um, this is something I probably should have thought through a little more, knowing we were going to do this. Um, I think there was a lot of things at play. Um, like I said, please go listen to the why I was called every time I was called crazy or stupid, I ended up happier that that gets into this a lot, but I'm trying to think about how, what I could talk about that I didn't cover there, but yeah, a lot of it is goes back to those rules kind of things. I don't mind rules, like if they're useful or make sense but i think there's just a lot of stupid rules mm -hmm. out in the world and when you work for a corporation or a municipality or any business that's not like an uber startup kind of thing right and i don't mean uber the car company like like big very thing. startup kind of like true 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 startup um there's a ton of rules and bad rules just frustrate me. So that was probably a, a big driver. Um, I wanted to just be able to do what I wanted to do. And there were times at AGC I couldn't do what I wanted to do. Okay. And that was no knock on them. Like they, there needs to be rules at some places. You just can't be completely rogue. Right. Um, I thought that trade associations as a whole need to radically change. I think it's a business model from 1950. Um, and so that's where I was going to go with it is, you know, is it a format, you know, that just boxes people in? Is that what you would say? There's a format and, and those are the rules and you're boxed in. So you're kind yeah. of pigeonholed. Yeah. Like you have to, play within those rules when you're not making the rules or the lines, whatever the right word is, or the box, however you want to des describe the guardrails that contain you. And I was like, like, no, like fuck the guardrails. Like, let's just do something that, um, I would love to do and I think would work. And, um, I did it and I didn't have, a ton of work lined yeah. up. Um, I just, I, you know, I, I wasn't, I don't think I was foolish. I had 
tested the water a little bit. Like I knew I it was funny. I was having people call me when I was at the AGC to help them with stuff. And they're like, Hey, I'll, you know, I'll pay you. Will you do this for me? And I couldn't because they were AGC members in some cases. Right, right. And in some cases they weren't AGC members, but it was like, all right, this is weird. You know, so like I knew there was interest in support. I knew going back to the other podcast, like where I talked about capital, like I had gained enough capital. And when I say capital, I don't mean money. I just mean like experience, knowledge, um, connections, understanding of processes. Like I knew that, uh, if things got tight, I could do permitting. Mm -hmm. Um, but I really thought there was this need in the industry for construction related information, content. Um, I, I wanted mass construction, um, to be a place where like, yes, I would run my business, but people would talk about construction, learn about construction. Um, you know, whether it was, uh, you know, whether that spun out into like meetups and things like that, like we did with the cigar night. Um, you know, I maybe thought there would have been more that's, uh, I don't know if I'll do more, but like I, I thought about all those things, the podcast, written content, social media, um, you know, LinkedIn w has been a real powerful tool for sharing those ideas. And um, so, yeah, that's like such a hybrid thing where I teach classes, do consulting, do the podcasts, do the website, do social, a uh, little bit of meetups, do videos, right. like it, and then, like it. There's no job where I could go do that, so I was like, "All right, that's what I want to do," and the only way to do that is to just do it myself mm -hmm. and say, "Fuck it." That goes back to the kind of carve your own path kind of thing, right? Um, so, all right, so we'll we'll we're gonna. We're going to go back to that. Um, I, I want to get one more thing out of the way before uh, we'll come back to the sure. carve your own path because, you know, I was lucky enough to sit with you during these early stages and when you were sharing your visions. And uh, the, the next thing we're going to get to is going to be interesting because I want to hear what you have to say. But first, um, you know, so you go in self-employed and I, I hear you ask, you know, the owners of these companies or the you know presidents of these companies that you interview all the time, you know, questions about, you know, you know, how hard was it? You know, what, what were your challenges? Mm -hmm. So you decide to go self-employed, you have a vision. What was your biggest challenge to get off the ground? I mean, there was so much to learn and it's funny, like it's painful in the moment and then you forget about it. Yeah. I don't think it was that hard to get it started. You know, I found health insurance. I formed an S-Corp, you know, had an attorney look at what I could use for contracts. I had a good accountant. So spinning it up and getting it going, I don't think 
was that hard in like the startup sense, mm-hmm. but like learning um, the different type of insurances right. that I needed, um, manage, how do I manage getting people um, certificates of insurance and like how do like I got asked numbers of t- uh, different points in along the business where well, we need a copy of your profit and loss statement. I'm like, all right, I guess I'm going to learn how to do a fucking profit and loss statement. Back of a paper bag that you just got from CVS. Yeah. And I was running, um, invoicing and everything and tracking, um, everything in Excel. I didn't even have QuickBooks at the time. So now I'm trying to extract all the data I need and I couldn't just hit run report. Right. So I had to learn how to do a profit and loss statement and a bunch of other financial documents that um, I didn't know how to do. And uh, I don't like to do that. Mm-hmm. It was fucking painful. Um, but I had to learn it. So I think it was all learning those things that I just didn't know. So the business aspect of it, the back, the back of the house business aspect. Yeah, the back of the house stuff was hard because I didn't necessarily know it and I didn't like it. Like I didn't know inbound marketing before, but that was really interesting. So I wanted to soak it all in. Uh, All the back of the house stuff, not interesting to me at all. Um, And then I think what's funny is people might think of this as hard. I just, believed in it so much that um, it ended up not being hard, but it was really important to trust that doing the right thing would bear fruit. Right. Pay off. Right. So spending hours, lots of time, when a month was really lean with any money coming in. But to me, I'm like, all right, making good content for a class that I'm going to teach is going to be worth it. It might not be worth it till 18 months from now, Mm -hmm. but it's going to be worth it. And writing articles for the website where you're like, okay, hey, you've got no money coming in this week. Why are you spending 12 hours writing for your website why don't you go get some work right um but i had faith that no putting good ideas and content and helping people solve their problems will pay dividends in the long run so yeah i would say there was times where um and Krista and I have talked about this because she started her own business. And there was times where you start to feel a little bit of pressure to go chase some work. Say, all right, well, maybe I should just call this person, see if they need it. Or maybe I should do this or do that. And I and every time that would happen, I would just stop myself and say, nope, I like got to trust this process that do the right thing. And that will pay dividends. Put the investment in. Yeah. And be, but that, it takes a bit of a stomach sometimes because you're like, all right, I've got a mortgage. 
and I got right. a kid and, and like, so it definitely, um, can be a little bit of a challenge, but uh, I think the best thing I ever did was trust that process. Cause still to this day, I haven't asked for any work yet. So it's all come to you. Yeah. So I, I, I think it works by doing the right thing and people like, it's amazing how many people, and I do this with other people where I appreciate what they do and what they put out or as simple as like, Hey, you know what? That coffee shop in my neighborhood, you know, sponsors the kids teams and stuff like that. And they're willing to, or, you know, they're willing to do X, Y, and Z, or I'll spend time to talk to you or whatever, or like, I'm going to go to them every time. And I think some of that happens with mass construction where there's been some, you know, amazing, great core customers that have, you know, have been very loyal and very supportive. And some of them might've meant like, Hey, they were maybe starting up or they were in a pinch and you help them and you don't charge them, you know? And, um, and you're not doing it to get more work, but you're being a decent human. Like, all right, this person's in a pinch, like do the right thing. And I think it gets back to like, if you do the right thing and you're patient, Mm -hmm. that's the other thing, patience, um, and trust that if you do the right thing that in the end, um, it'll work out. It'll come back to you. Mm. Karma. Do you believe in karma? Is that what a uh, little I don't bit know. of what you're... Uh, I don't know. It's a little bit. Yeah. And I don't know if I think about it as come come back to you, but I think more of if you do the right thing, things will work out. Right. You know? Right. So it, it, it's like an investment in people. You know, you can invest in them. It's yep. not going to come back all the time, but for the most part, people are going to recognize that you're putting the time in and they're going to, as you said, the coffee shop, they're going to come back to you. Yeah. And they're like... I tend to think that the, ma- the vast majority of people are good people. So, yes. Are you going to get fucked? Sure. But that's 0.5% of the people are going to fuck you. And if you aren't nice, if you then say, well, I'm going to be closed off and protective with 100% of the people so I don't get fucked by that half a percent, I think that's that's a shitty way to go through life. So I think it's... Hey, like there, there are some people that, um, I would say to some extent may have taken advantage of like willingness to help. Right. Cause I always look at it as like, Hey, this person needs some help. I'm going to help them out. Um, but, uh, they just continue to take and take and take. Um, and not that they need to give anything back, but you just like, all right, you can't always just ask for stuff you right. know because it's it's our time and we're we're busy and a lot of people are pulling at us so um you know you have to you have to give back so yeah there's times where i'm like okay i'm not going to help this person anymore because they're not either they're not a good person or they're just constantly just wanting stuff for free because they want it for free and like i'm fine with helping but i'm not your free worker, right? That's not concierge. Where... I think I have said that recently. You're not concierge. You're not uh, at the beck and call for everybody. Yeah. Some people we can. Yeah. Uh, we can. Yep. We can delve into their uh, issues, but. Uh...
All right, Mascons, we're gonna take a break here. Unfortunately, I was on vacation and didn't have time to listen to the whole thing yet, make sure there was no audio problems or editing that needed to be done. You're getting pretty much the raw uh, audio here, but I do like to at least listen before I publish. So uh, it was getting a little long in the tooth between podcasts, so I'm getting this one out the other door, and hopefully within the next day or so, you will get the rest of this episode. And I just want to take time um, now to say thank you. Thanks to everybody that listens. Thanks to everybody that shares this podcast, donates, writes reviews, sends emails. Uh, Without every one of you, there's no way I'm sticking with this. There's no way that I am keeping the the momentum up. So really appreciate it. And, And at 200, it's been great. And it's also been, I think, almost four years as well. So that's pretty powerful. And here's four more. Take care, guys.